Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Albert Jing. Albert, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Morning, Kevin. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. Now he said good morning, but actually it's it's about seven o'clock at night for me. So we are on the opposite sides of the globe, but uh, through the magic of the interwebs, we're going to make this happen. But Albert, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So I'm the founder and CEO of One Friends. We're a consumer app company offering an app that helps friends easily organize regular catch-ups and group events, helps real friends stay connected, and uh, I've been doing that since August 2018. Uh, we're an Australian company, but we intend to serve a global customer base, and our servers are currently based in Singapore. Uh, prior to starting One Friends back in 2018, I was a lawyer working in all areas of business law, corporate law, uh, doing intellectual property law, and commercial disputes as well. Uh, during my time as a lawyer, I also worked with many startup clients myself, uh, many in their early days, up to many in their uh, very fast growing stages with valuations up to the hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, so that was a good experience too, and probably has some carryover into my work now as a founder. And before that, I studied at the, the University of Sydney. I did a double degree in commerce and law. So I've got uh, two degrees that also play some somewhat of a role in helping me now. Yeah. Now, if you even go back further, I mean, I, I know that you are a competitive sportsman. You, you know, I think there was something about uh, maybe Olympic trials or something that I read somewhere that, that uh, and you, you were first place in like the 100 meter butterfly or something like that in New South Wales. Did I, did I read that somewhere? Yeah. Okay. So. I've been the doing other homework. that I've been doing. From, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. So, yeah, I'm also a competitive swimmer and professional swimmer. Although I don't get paid doing it, I fund myself. Uh, swimming is my passion. It's, it's my art and it's also my craft. Put a lot of effort into it over the years. Uh, I did try out for the 2016 Olympics, but didn't make that team. Uh, our standard in Australia is very high. You have to be top eight in the world, uh, basically, yeah. for your event to make that team. Uh, so, took some time off after 2016 to focus on work, and I'm back into it full time at the moment as well. Uh, with uh, the Tokyo Olympics being the next one, uh, if that goes ahead in 2021 mm -hmm. next year, given the coronavirus situation, uh, my goal would be to make that team and to go on and perform well. What's always funny, I mean, when you see the Olympics, it seems like it always comes down to the, the Australians and the Americans in the, in the finals, you know, as having, having the swim-offs, you know, yeah. see who's going to get the goal. But yeah, I, I mean, obviously you are, you are a classic underachiever. I mean, you know, you law degree, you've got a finance degree, you, you're, a, you're a virtually an Olympic athlete and, and uh, you know, so much more. I mean, there, I, I read a lot of accolades as I was kind of looking through your, your LinkedIn profile and stuff that uh, you probably didn't even list yourself. Somebody else probably listed for you because you, you would probably be too humble to list those yourself. Yeah. But 
it is, uh, I, I really wanted to kind of drill down a little bit and just kind of hear the, the transition story. I mean, it buffered right at the very first as you were doing your bio. So tell us the name of the app again that, that you're creating. Sure. So the app is called One Friends, O-N-E-F-R-I-E-N-D-S, uh, uh -huh. spelled as one word. Yeah. Yeah. And the name itself actually has some symbolism behind it. So it's the idea that, you know, each particular friend you have on the app is important. And that friendship is important in itself, even though we might have many such friendships on the app. Uh, it's sort of um, what it's about. It's about more sincere connection between mm -hmm. uh, good and real friends that you want to catch up with and spend time together in real life. So obviously we've got a lot of social media these days that, attempts to connect people, but that's done on a very, let's say, uh, large scale where you might have up to thousands of people, followers. So One Friends really brings it back down to the more personal level. Uh, it's more of a sincere connection. Yep. So as I was looking at that, I, I was looking at the, at the app on the App Store and kind of reading the description. I mean, I couldn't help but the way that you, you kind of framed the, the um, the benefits or the unique selling, you know, the USP of the app, it's almost like it's hitting itself against Facebook. You know, <laughs> even some of the things, I mean, did you have that in mind kind of when you created it? Because I'm, I'm thinking of things like, you know, the security and, and what information they, they keep in their servers and, and just all these things about, you know, how deeper level connections and stuff like that. So how, how, do, how did you view that versus say a Facebook, like a social app like Facebook? Yeah, so I'd say they're very different. Uh, they can certainly coexist and we wouldn't be competing directly with Facebook. Now, Facebook has its purposes for things like broadcasting what's happening in your life mm -hmm. to a broad range of people, you know, in one shot. Whereas One Friends is about, you know, the organizing of these one-to-one -one catch ups, these small group dinners and uh, let's say poker nights with friends and sports activities so you could almost organize something through one friend and maybe post a photo of that onto facebook now the problem i believe with a lot of social media is even though you're connected so to say with friends on there there's really sometimes not too much you're doing with particular friends or you've got uh you're connected but you're not truly seeing them in a meaningful way right and that's what one friends comes into play and you know as opposed to something like facebook where you might have hundreds of friends or thousands of friends even you only add about 10 to 20 friends uh, i would say you know they're more uh, more close relationships yeah. yeah and it helps those um stay intact even as life circumstances change right and that the old adage that says you know it's an inch deep and a mile wide versus an inch wide and a mile deep I mean, that, that's I can right. see those two, those two did apps in a different way. But so, so let's, let's hit the rewind button a little bit and go back to kind of when you were, when you were in your, your law career. And I, I think I, I read something too. You, did you clerk with like the Supreme Court as well? Or, or did you have some connection to the Supreme Court there in, in Australia? Okay. Yeah. So the equivalent of the U.S. Supreme Court here in Australia is the High Court. And, uh, I'm very fortunate to have a former judge of the High Court uh, as a great friend of mine and a mentor. So we sort of meet up more informally and we discuss a range of matters that uh, probably helped me to some extent in business because mm -hmm. of the carryover of 
you know, good judgment and being able to see things as they are given limited amounts of evidence, conflicting evidence. Right. Uh, that friendship helped me when I was a lawyer, but right now, since I've left that uh, behind, uh, it's more uh, a carryover into what I'm doing now. Yeah. And I mean, the beauty of that is that you don't have to pay somebody to do your legal work for you. I mean, you can, you can pretty well do most of the legal work as far as setting up the business and trademark protection and, you know, all those things that are, that are required to have a, an attorney or a, or a barrister or whatever in your, in your, uh, in your corner, you could do those things yourself. So yeah. walk us through the transition of, of going from your law career to launching this app. What was kind of the, the impetus for, for that transition or that change? Sure. So, you know, I always had ideas of being an entrepreneur, uh, even throughout university, but uh, I wanted to gain real work experience first, you know, and uh, being a corporate lawyer is really valuable in that sense. Uh, especially since many of my clients were startups themselves, as I said previously. And mm, the transition itself was an interesting one, I would say. I really you know, decided to uh, become an entrepreneur because I wanted to make an impact on a large scale. And I realized being a lawyer wasn't really going to allow me to do that. So I made the decision back in December 2018 to quit my law firm job and focus purely on one friend, fully commit to that. Mm. Whilst I was working my last job, there was a period where I was still uh, moonlighting my startup. So I'd yeah. work a full-time job and then uh, do my swimming training after work and then work on my startup from about 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. in the morning. Wow. So that was a interesting, intense period. Uh, but, you know, I, I believed in it and I was going to uh, put in the work. So that was part of the transition. And once I uh, fully took on the role of the founder CEO of One Friends, uh, things probably became a bit easier in the sense because of the increased time I could spend mm -hmm. and I could spend more time with my team, so my contracted team. And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been rewarding thus far. You know, we're about uh, just under two years into this journey now, and uh, there's a lot going on, uh, but I'm excited. And I certainly believe with a lot of conviction that One Friends will go on to do great things. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've done, I don't know, almost 200 of these interviews. And, and if you, you know, each, each founder that I talk to, and I can, I can almost hear their story as they kind of walk through the process of, you know, they had their previous career or their previous job, and then there was something that caused them to want to step out of that and, and, you know, create something. But it's amazing how little is wasted, you know, in that journey, in that pathway leading up to, to like their launch of, of whatever their, their new business is. And I mean, I, I could even go back in your journey, even back to, you know, probably high school, maybe even earlier than that. I'm thinking, you know, even the discipline that you had as a swimmer, it, you know, has probably helped you have discipline in, in launching this app or being able to manage your time well or, you know, whatever, whatever that would be. But I think all these things would, would have helped you, you know, to be prepared to found a company. Sure. Totally agree with that, Kevin. Well, I think so much of being a great entrepreneur is 
you know, having great uh, character and great uh, qualities of temperament, not necessarily the intellectual qualities because knowledge can always be gained. You know, you yeah. can read books and you can learn those on the fly, but those qualities of the character really take a long time to build, you know, uh, the ability to keep going and to persevere. So they're things that swimming or sport or other areas would teach you quite well, uh, not necessarily just something you could take a course on. And I think, yeah, as you said, that's very valuable. Uh, and one friend's, you know, uh, obviously we've launched now, but that is really just the beginning. It's not simply a case of we've launched a product to the market and things are going to take off on their own. It's very much a continual process of right. still refining, fixing bugs, talking to users, getting feedback and taking things a step at a time. Yeah. Uh, there's no, uh, say, um, easy way there. Yeah. yeah. So, so walk us through kind of the business model of, of one friend. So, I mean, obviously it, it looked like it was, it was free to sign up. So what is the, what's the revenue model uh, built into the app or is it, is it just a data collection tool type thing where you can monetize later or what is the, what is kind of the business plan? Sure. So the app is certainly free to use and there will always be a free version available. That's my intention. And the app will eventually have more premium features, you know, okay. as our user base grows and determining what uh, certain classes of users really find would be helpful to them. We would add those on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that would be one stream of revenue and eventually there will be other ones such as, you know, partnering with certain restaurants and venues and they could pay us a subscription fee for uh, directing some of our clients to their venue. Yep. And uh, that's another revenue stream. And mm -hmm. yeah, there are things that we will uh, lock into place as you know, the user base grows. Yeah. So tell me, how, how did you come up with the idea itself? Sure. Well, the idea for One Friends really came because it solves a personal problem. You know, I can feel the pain of having great friends from the past who I've lost contact with, you know, or may have agreed to keep in touch, but you know, the, the time just faded and the time sort of elapsed and nobody really bothered to reach out because everyone's busy with their own lives, you know, and everyone has other things going on. So reaching out to a particular friend to organize a catch up or to organize a get together, or to bring the group together sometimes can just be a difficult logistical issue almost. So, you know, I was thinking about a way to solve that problem of, you know, friends who want to obviously catch up, but no one's reaching out. Mm -hmm. So one friend sends an automatic invite to both friends when it's time to catch up. So it takes that burden off the friends and it's like a, it's like a reliable bridge between friends. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's something sort of, um, so that was an idea I had because I was considering how would I solve my own problem? Mm -hmm. And I came up with a solution and I spoke to my, my friends and other people I didn't know. And it seemed like it was solving a common problem and that solution would be scalable. So we went from there, obviously the idea and the product is adapted over time, you know, right. especially given technical considerations as well. But that was the initial premise and, how it sort of started. So do you set the reminder time or does the app just do it like every 30 days it says, hey, you need to 
you need to ping Kevin here because you haven't talked to him in a while. Sure. So what you can do is after you've added a friend on the app, you've got a set of options, right? Between one month, two months, three months, six months or 12 months. And if you lock one of those frequencies in with your friend, so they accept it as the catch up frequency based on that frequency, you automatically get an invite. Right? Uh, so on both your apps, you'd say time to catch up with Albert time to catch up with Kevin and we'll both see that. So I don't have to reach out to Kevin with an excuse to say, Hey, Kev, I just saw your podcast. I think time we catch, catch up yeah. or something about that. Uh, so we get that invite and then we can select which days within the next two weeks suit our schedules. Right. And I can then um, have a vote on those. Or if there's a matching time between our selections, that's automatically set as the time. Okay. So it really solves that uh, logistical problem of bouncing back and forth of messages about, you know, what day works for you? Does Thursday work for you? And you say, oh, no, maybe Friday. I say, oh, Friday might not work. And then it all falls apart. So yep. it solves that, um, that human side of the problem. Yeah. And also there's often a reluctance to reach out. You know, if we haven't contacted each other for, say, six months or a year, uh, it takes almost a bit of uh, courage to, to reach out out of the blue. Uh, but if, in fact, you know, you bump into a good friend in public, it's a great feeling of, you know, nostalgia and connection again. Yeah. So one friend tries to bring that. This is, this is I mean, it kind of alleviates that, that uneasiness and, and really, I mean, it, it is a reminder. It's, it's a ping because you may not, it may not be top of mind, you know, and mm. as, as you're going through your day. But um, let, me, let me ask you a question because as I'm, as I'm trying to get my head around the business model and how the, I guess, the functionality of the app, one thing that that might concern me a little bit if I was if I was designing this or investing in this would be, is this something that people would not use very frequently, you know, uh, as as a catch up? Is that has that been a concern of you that that you know? I mean, what I think what most social apps are designed to do is to get you to use it very you know frequently, you know, a lot of you know, it's kind of become a, a habit to use or something like that. If it's designed just to you know, connect friends on a, on a kind of a predetermined basis. Is there anything else that would, that's built in the app that would cause me to, to look at it more often or to utilize it more often? Do you kind of understand the question? Definitely. Yeah. So there's certainly things in the app that uh, create further engagement. So we can imagine it almost as uh, in terms of organizing events as two streams. So you've got that, recurring catch up based on the frequency, but you've also got custom events and activities. Yeah. So true. you could have, you know, a weekly uh, swim session with particular friends and you organize that through the app and you create that event, right? Or you could have your weekly uh, yoga session or uh, a weekly get together to have a chat with a particular group of friends. Yeah. So that creates, you know, a more, let's say, uh, frequent engagement, mm -hmm. uh, depending on, you know, how often you want to see particular groups, you might have uh, a book club that you meet up once every two weeks. Yeah. And then after that, you might have some drinks. So they're all sorts of events that um, can be done. And the, the sort of possibilities are almost up to the imagination of the particular mm -hmm. users. Like during this co coronavirus period, people have been using it to organize 
online games where you bring a group of friends together to play some uh, online poker, for example. And those things uh, will always be happening. Yep. You can also use it as like an event reminder for yourself as well, where you create an event. And because there's a reminder notification the day before and an hour before the event, that helps you um, organize things as well. Also, there's the uh, chat function uh, where you can just have a group chat with particular friends on a topic or chat one-on-one. -on -one. Um, the message is encrypted as well. So that keeps uh, privacy at the forefront. Um, yeah, well, also, I guess there are two dimensions to one friends as well. There's obviously the logistical dimension, which we're talking about, where it's about making organizing catch up or an event easy, but there's also the more emotional dimension of uh, friendship and happiness and uh, loyalty amongst friends and solidarity amongst friends. So that is more an ongoing thing where if you have a particular friend invite you to the app, you know, it sort of means that they really care about having you in their life. What about the, um, what about the stigma of like, let's say you would send me a, a catch up notice or a request to catch up in a month or whatever. And if I ignore it or I say no, or I don't accept it, have, have yeah. you, have you had experience that in the app as well? Sure. So we certainly try to soften the sting of that if, if it happens. Uh, obviously, really only want to add people that you do want to catch up with. Once mm -hmm. you make that commitment, you try your best to stay with it. Now, obviously, there'll be times where you're in another country or you just have things on that prevent, you know, a get together. And that's fine. You can leave a message to your friend. You can snooze the catch up. Or so to speak, there's a button on the invite. Yep. Uh, so we try to keep it very diplomatic and we want to make sure that no friend is sort of really um, feeling turned down through that. Yeah, and I guess the app absorbs the blow and the sting of not having a catch up as opposed to a friend feeling that sort of um, turning down. Yeah. Right, right. Just like not an ignored text or whatever. So that's right, that's right. So I normally ask the question about uh, like, you know, I, I want to step on a on a lift with the entrepreneur and say we're going to go up ten floors and you know I want your elevator pitch in the next you know forty five seconds or whatever. But I'm gonna I'm gonna to kind of twist the question a little bit today because I I'm really curious about just the potential and what you where you see this in the, you know in the next eighteen months or five years or whatever. But so instead of instead of a potential client, I am a potential um, investor. You and I are going to step on a lift, lift and 10, we're going to go 10 floors. Give me your best, uh, your best uh, pitch for investment over the next 45 seconds or so. Where do you see this, okay. this app going? Well, with this app, I believe the long-term vision is that we can serve a global customer base with millions of users. Now, that's the sort of goal, I think, within four to six years, we can certainly get there. Um, millions of users around the world because it solves a problem that's really fundamental to human nature. You know, it's the need for connection and genuine friendship. And therefore one friend hits at that. It's a, it's a universal feeling. Uh, in the short term, we're obviously very pragmatic and realistic about how we're going to grow. So through word of mouth, that's something we really focus on. Uh, marketing and PR is not really on the top of the priority list. 
uh, we want to build a product that people really love and they share that organically with their friends. And as the user base grows, network effects will certainly come into play. Mm -hmm. And by the nature of the app, when you add a friend on there, they're, they're a good friend of yours who you sincerely want to stay in touch with. And therefore, in itself, users will be using the app over the long run because you want to stay connected with these friends over years. So it's not like a temporary solution where you use the app for a day or two and then you're, you're done. Right. You know, one friend has therefore that strong element of retention by yeah. the nature of what we're talking about here. Yep. And also given the fact that you're connecting with good friends, as opposed to let's say associates or uh, people you really know, the level of engagement and the, the happiness you derive from that relationship, right? Because that's uh, more a derived happiness based on the particular friendship you have that would really be uh, high compared to, you know, an app that connects you with mere strangers. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, sort of where yeah. I see. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's where I sort of say, that's where I see one friends and uh, does that answer your question? Absolutely. Absolutely. Matter of fact, I've got my checkbook out right now. I'm writing, writing you some, 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 uh, I'm, we're going we're gonna to do, a, do a, our first seed round right here on, on the air. But, uh, no, no. <laughs> well, with, with, with that actually an investment, uh, we're probably not looking directly for investment at the moment anyway. I've obviously put in my own funds and a lot of it to get it to this stage and still got 100% of the equity, which I'm uh -huh. very happy with and yeah. proud of. You know, a lot of founders from my experience, just when they get their first product to market, they've given away you know, anywhere between five up to, you know, even 20% yeah. of the company. So yeah. at the moment, we don't really need the funding. Uh, but in the future, there's always that possibility if we wanted to uh, grow at a rapid pace. Uh, but, you know, the strategies which have worked well for companies like, say, Uber, Airbnb with their blitz scaling might not mm -hmm. necessarily work well for one friend. Right. So it's really a case of uh, finding what's going to suit best. There's no real precedent that we're going to follow closely. It's about, you know, being respectful of the precedent and theory, but also being able to rise above that and work out what's best here. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I think you're exactly right. I mean, I, I think it certainly has a, a network effect that says, you know, a user inherently will add people to their network within the mm -hmm. app. I mean, just by sending invitations or whatever. So you're growing your user base you know, exponentially by people using it versus, you know, that doesn't necessarily happen with Airbnb or Uber or whatever, because there's no natural connection for me to add people other than they may give me $5 off on my next ride or something like that for, you know, for somebody that signs up or something. But, but yours is built into the model itself. I mean, it, it, it is relying on that model. But speaking of, you mentioned a minute ago about just you know, kind of the coronavirus and how they're using the app differently. Um, mm. You know, I'm curious, uh, I would think that, that your app has a little bit of, of um, you know, resiliency, even in a difficult time like this, because, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the brick and mortar, you know, we're going to close the doors. I mean, your app is still active. I mean, people are just, yes. say, meeting online instead of meeting, you know, in face to face or whatever. So have you seen any, any um, impact at all because of the coronavirus? Well, we're only a month 
out uh, after launching, right? So the user base is still in its initial stages. Now the coronavirus, you know, very unfortunate for the people who've been affected. Uh, it's something that would impact one friend's in the short run in one respect because people obviously can't go to a venue if they're closed or they're gathering restrictions. But that takes away, as I said previously, the, let's say the logistical dimension of the app, mm -hmm. but the emotional dimension of the app, the need for connection and that connectedness and that feeling of sincerity and solidarity amongst friends is by no means diminished or in fact is probably enhanced during yeah. the stage. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so people can still chat. Uh, they can still set up a frequency and catch up in say three months time because they think by then the restrictions would have eased. Also, uh, once the coronavirus, let's say, improves, people will then naturally want to do what's really important in their lives. And we can see that more than ever now, people feel a bit isolated without face-to-face -face interactions. So they're more likely to probably catch up and more likely to, you know, get back and have those old group activities and fun times together. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I can, I can certainly see that. I, I, um, I mean, I really like the idea behind the app and, and I, I like your strategy of, you know, how you intend to grow this and, you know, kind of bootstrapping it, you know, as, as long as you can until, you know, that, that critical mass or that, that blitz growth that you, you want to start at some point in time and hit the next stage. But um, I, I also want to respect your time and, and uh, I just appreciate you just taking the time to kind of share your story, your, your backstory today. But I kind of wanted to wrap up with, a, with an, another just kind of really unique question that I, I don't ask very often is, is, what is, what do you see is the biggest obstacle that you think you're going to face as an early stage app startup and how do you intend to overcome that? Sure. The biggest obstacle, I mean, I think it's probably common to a lot of startups in this day and age, and that's really to build something that users love in the long run, you know, and that's really tied in with making an app successful as well. So that's probably the biggest thing. So unpack that just a little bit. Yeah, sure. So I would say, you know, a lot of apps might uh, create a bit of early engagement, mm -hmm. but over the long run, the users might find an alternative solution or they realize what they signed up for is not really what they need. Right? So the challenge for one friends is obviously to initially uh, create something that users love and then also maybe adapt as time goes, goes on as well, because the way that users use the app might be slightly different to what you originally anticipated. Right? And as the user base grows as well, you might have certain cross sections of users wanting to uh, have different features, right? And to neglect those would be a problem, especially as the user base becomes large enough, you know, so yeah. say we've got 10 million users eventually, and 10% of users uh, are finding certain features not as helpful or they want a particular right. thing. Now, we've still got 90% of users using the main features and doing well, but 10% of 10 million is still a very large number exactly, uh, yeah. in absolute terms. Yeah. So that's something we have to care about because to be able to cater and really 
you know, um, make the app applicable to all these users, that's going to be a challenge. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by what I said previously. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I asked you, but I mean, I'm, as, you, as you kind of talked about, so let's say a million of your users said, you know, said this is a feature that we really love or this is a feature that we don't like at all. Actually, not all 10 million would give you feedback anyway. So it may actually be even a much higher percentage of actual engaged users you know, then 10%, you hear from 10%, but it may be 30%, it may be 40% of, of those that would actually give you feedback, you know, sure. that, that would, you know, it's kind of a little bit of skewed, you know, bell curve there, but um, I, yeah, I really, I, I like that idea. And I, I, is there a feedback feature built into the app itself that where people can, as they're using it, they can, or do they, is it just a contact feature or how are you, how are you kind of generating the community, the, that is kind of the testing, the beta community, so to speak. Yeah, so at the moment, there's no direct feedback built into the app. Uh, eventually, we might introduce that. Uh, we've got our email you know, address there for mm -hmm. all our users. You can contact us through our website, and we'll probably reach out directly at some stage as well yeah. uh, to certain users uh, just to build that connection. You know, I think customer service even though we're not directly in that business is very important. Right. You know, as in any industry, it's about, you know, making sure that users are cared for and that we actually genuinely have their well-being and their, their user experience at the forefront of our minds. So uh, with one friends, you know, we're, all, we're almost willing to on some levels sacrifice a bit of revenue to ensure that users do get that really pure experience and they feel like we're not, you know, exploiting them in any sense of that right. word. Right, yeah. yeah, that that is great. Yeah. So, yeah. so well, you know, we could go. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, so we've purposely gone to, uh, you know, keep the app free for the initial stages, right. just to make sure that, you know, people might be getting value out of it. Uh, and we could be possibly making some, some money, but we want to ensure that, you know, they're getting that real true value and they, they're feeling that, uh, we're here to actually try to improve their lives rather than simply, you know, use them as users per se. That is, I, I love the philosophy. I, I just love kind of the heart and the ethos that you're, that you're building into your company from the very beginning. And I mean, it, it just plays so, so much into what we're trying to do here at Rising Tide. I mean, you know, you know how we end every episode and you know how the, the catchphrase we use, but, um, I, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you a second ago in the, in the middle of your thought there, but I, I just wanted to give you space. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you just kind of want to close this out with today and then just tell people where this is the best place to find you or, or maybe find your app? Sure. I think we've covered most points there. Um, you know, the, the main thing, I guess, for your audience, you know, if, if they're looking to start their own business, I understand the premise of your podcast was mm -hmm. for listeners who might be working currently and you're looking to get a start. Well, that would just be to, um, you know, encourage them to follow what their passion is and really have that faith and belief. Also, sometimes it's good to go with the flow, you know, in an early stage startup. Uh, often there's this idea that the founder is, let's say, running about in a slightly hectic manner there's always a lot of things going on and it's very frantic uh, but in my opinion that's probably not necessarily the path to great things you know, a founder in my opinion or a leader 
has to you know, display a calmness and composure uh, and a high degree of that in a lot of situations, especially in times of adversity. Mm. So that's a main Good point work. that I, yeah. I think uh, I like to make. And I'll be applying that obviously to one friends. Uh, given the timing of the interview, we're still at our early stages post launch, but you know, in the years to come, if we go on to achieve great things, I hope uh, anyone who remembers that advice will give it a go. <laughs> so where can they find you online? Sure. So uh, you can visit our website, onefriendsapp.com, and you can check out the site. It's got some explanations of why you'd want to use OneFriends. You can also contact us through that website. If there's anything you'd like to contact me personally about, uh, you can reach me at uh, ceo at onefriendsapp.com. Just send me an email and I'll respond when I get the chance. Um, yeah. Well, Albert, I really appreciate you taking the time today. And it's been great hearing about just kind of your story and, and just connecting with you, but really hearing about your app as well. And just kind of the, the I love the early stage of, of a startup. I mean, that's, that's really my favorite part is kind of the creation and ideation and kind of launch phase of a startup. And I, I love the story behind what you're trying to build. And we'll certainly circle back in about 12 months. And, and uh, man, if I can get to you by then, I may have to go through your people to get to you to, uh, because you've grown, you know, you're, you're the new app unicorn in, in uh, Australia. But uh, just thank you for just taking the time and just sharing your story and, and just the genuineness and, and authenticity behind the, the culture of your company and just really playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Albert, thanks again. Sure, my pleasure, absolute pleasure. Kevin, thanks for inviting me on your show and take care, all the best. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.